Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening. And enjoy the show. If darkness is what you're after, seek no more your searches through. You haven't found the darkness, traveler. The darkness has found you. Welcome to Season 3. Episode 23. I'm your host, Jason Hill, and I'm thrilled you could join me tonight. Let's jump right into it, shall we? For part one of tonight's tale by resident wordsmith Jeff Sturdivant, and a much, much, much lengthier intro, I refer you to episode 22 from last week. Just check it out if you haven't. I permit you to skip the intro. Go in peace. Oh, and be sure to check out Jar Baby in Season 2, Episode 3 for things and stuff. We good? Yeah? Good to go? Alright. Okay, let's do this. You're listening to the Standard Edition of this program. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy ad-free versions of this and all our other episodes, as well as hundreds of tales from our audio archives dating back to 2012, visit simplyscarypodcast.com 
and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today to get instant access from our friends at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Thank you for your support. Now, allow me to escort you to a place where the sun dies and nightmares come to life, where those who seek the darkness need look no further. Welcome, listener, to the Horror Hill. You haven't found the darkness. The darkness has found you. Check your funny business at the door, because now, without further ado, from author Jeff Sturdivant, I give you the incredibly serious and super scary, non-jokey at all conclusion to The Destroyer. Part 5 The Destroyer's in action. The Ten Pin tonight felt like the center of the universe with teams and fans from all over in attendance, the fatal car accident long forgotten. The dingy little alley itself, Mom realized, might have been disenfranchised itself at some juncture, but Bob had single-handedly turned all that around. And he did mean single-handedly. Randy and Rev were bowling like dog shit, even by their own dog shit standards. Rev, having become way too proud for a church pastor, had refined his approach into something fit for a gay parade, full of splendor and unnecessary affectation. His release remained unchanged, however, and the loft were amateur as ever. The ball ambled down the alley so slow at times it seemed to want to go backwards. Tonight, it took so long to get to the pocket, all Bob could do was sit there diddling his nipple till the affair were over with. When the ball got to where it were going, it seemed to lean in and negotiate with the pins whether they were falling down or not. A diplomatic meeting of sorts. Usually a good amount of them did fall over, but tonight the pins seemed more stubborn than usual. The ball ended up just sitting there, kind of nestled up against the pins for warmth. The whole thing seemed a heartwarming metaphor for togetherness. Meanwhile, the pins and the ball alike had to be swept out, and it left the team with an open frame a blight on the destroyers, and a disgrace to the sport of bowling. Randy, enchanted with his new celebrity status, had bought a new bowling glove even more comprehensive than his previous. This glove was hardly a glove at all, but a kind of gantry that rendered his arm completely fixed and unbendable. His only responsibility henceforth was to hold on to the ball until his arm swung into the right place to release it. This made sense in theory, but one were apt to be fairly inaccurate if the ball were released at the wrong moment. The moment in question occurred when Randy released the ball not forward, but backward, resulting in the destruction of Bob's nacho platter. With yet another open frame, and without a nacho left to dip, Bob figured he'd be dipped himself, and was not afraid to say so. But Randy and Rev were akin to the hacky comedians that sometimes open for rock stars at the county fair, no one were here to see them. Meanwhile, whenever Bob stood to plunge his prodigious digits into the destroyer, you could hear the titties jiggling in surround sound. As usual, Bob were the man of the hour, 
Bob had taken to wearing only his left overall strap while he bowled, which gave him a kind of cool nonchalance, and filled the minds of the female spectators with suggestive imagery. After bowling his usual strike, he turned to accept the adulation from the crowd with a little flourish and a bow. From the corner of his eye, he could see Amanda, the girl with the titties, at the shoe counter, admiring him. Or, if not admiring him, at least looking at him. Bob figured, though, that these two actions were one and the same, and could not be mutually exclusive. Bob retrieved the destroyer from the ball return, and with it cradled lovingly in his arm, he strolled through the spectators and over to the shoe counter. She watched him approaching with eyes getting all the wider. See something you like, darling? Bob said. He ran his thumb up and down his solitary and precarious overall strap, undoubtedly teasing the girl with the idea of what might lay underneath. While the answer to Bob's question were certainly implied, she had her peepers fixed not on his Adonis-like physique, but on the destroyer instead. Bob changed tacks. Say, you know what they say about a man with a great big bowling ball, don't you, darling? I don't like that ball, the girl said. Could you at least go put it away if you mean to sexually harass me? Bob wrinkled his nose. You smell it from all the way back there? That ball is evil, she said. I know about that ball. Please just get it away from me. Bob frowned. He covered the ball with his left hand and cocked his body away from the woman. It relaxed she'd insulted his very own baby. Well, I never, Bob said. He took a parting gander at the girl's titties then stomped back toward the lane. She's just jealous I got so many girlfriends now, Bob thought. This ball never hurt nobody. And that were true, saving the little car accident thing where it had appeared to roll on its own out into the street and kill two people. But that were no indication of evil, and certainly did not warrant such a blatant assault on his personal property. All at once, Bob were feeling marginalized again. Despondently flicking his nipple, Bob made his way to Two Shoes' office. He saw through the window, Two Shoes were sitting at his desk looking through a pile of papers. He didn't bother knocking. Mr. Mason... Everything all right? Girl at the counter there with the titties on her. She insulted my ball. She plumb marginalized me right there at the counter. I've been disenfranchised and I'll be dipped in shit. Dog shit. Dead dog shit. If I'm going to put up with that kind of... Two shoes were beginning to panic. It occurred to Bob in some unexplainable way that he enjoyed watching Two Shoes shaking in his two shoes the way he were. He felt a kind of oneness with all the marginalized people of the world just then. He weren't genuinely mad, only imbued with a sense of purpose that seemed to reward him on some psychological level. Like a little bowling trophy he hadn't actually earned, but was awarded anyway. Mr. Mason, please, just please settle down a second. We at Tenpin believe in inclusiveness and, well, okay, enough of the horseshit. Just listen, that bowl there, it's, it's got a kind of history to it. Nothing too crazy, just a, a little history, that's all. The history, 
You saying this ball's an artifact? Look, Two Shoes went on. That ball, it's been in that storage room an awful long time. Since before I even started here. But, the story goes, fella he used to bowl with it was a kind of a... A heretic, you could say. Maybe even a Satanist or something like that. Bob raised an eyebrow at that. The Satanist? Look, there have been little rumors and such since long before I got here. If I believed any of them, I'd never have given you that ball. But it's all silliness, of course. Curses, killer balls, it's all preposterous. But just because I'm not superstitious doesn't mean no one else is going to be. Amanda there? She's just got a little superstitious, that's all. Certainly she didn't mean anything by it. Bob relaxed. Well, okay, he said. You see that, Mr. Mason? So you just take your perfectly normal ball and go have fun bowling. Don't you worry about Miss Amanda. She's just a little spooked is all. Satisfied, Bob turned and walked back to the lane. They looked down at the ball, at the little pantygram between the finger and thumb holes. It were a silly notion, this ball being a satanic, self-ambulatory bowling ball owned previously by a Satanist or a heretic or what have you. At the same time, it did seem to Bob like the ball did indeed roll right on its own out the door and kill two people. It did also seem if he were going to be totally honest about it, to bowl practically all by itself. It seemed all Bob had to do was hold it and walk it to the edge of the lane. Beyond that, the thing seemed to work all by its goddamn self. There were also the matters of it smelling like what Bob estimated were pure damnation. A silly notion, perhaps, but at the same time, Bob reckoned he'd notion quite a number of silly notions. Some of them notions turned out to be no more than notions, but some other times, the notions turned out to be true. Bob notioned now that he wasn't sure what to believe, and beyond that he weren't sure that if he believed the destroyer were satanic, he'd do anything much differently. Righteous and decent as Bob were, how long could a man stay dry once he dipped his toe in the river of iniquity? I'll be dipped in iniquity... Bob said. The Destroyers came in second place, even with Randy and Rev bowling like absolute shit. With that, the ceremonial after-party commenced. The winners, a motley crew who called themselves the Amateur Gynecologists, simply paled in star power next to Bob's trio, and beyond the announcement of their first-place victory, the spectators quickly lost interest. Bob's affinity for titties had made itself known by now, and gals from all over were eager to oblige. The beers and booze arrived at such a rate, it were all he could do to slug them down before the next one appeared in front of him. Eight or so shots in, he found he couldn't easily get up out of his chair. So, he gave up and just sat down again. His vision went blurry. Likewise his hearing, as an innominable nipple entered each ear canal... Like a silent film, the spectators laughed and cheered. All Bob heard was titties. A sound not unlike the ocean in a conch shell. Sometime around the 11th shot, Bob's general perspective seems to switch from first to third person, 
He recalled at one point having his face between a good pair of titties. And around this anonymous torso, his hands found yet another pair of titties, which both astounded and confused him. Before long, the back of his head was too cradled in titties. All he felt were titties. All he smelled was dollar store deodorant. Between the thumb and finger of his right hand, the unidentified nipple grew turgid, like a big pencil eraser. Between the fingers of his left, the nipple remained soft and pliable, like a little primer bulb. This struck him as profound, and he were momentarily overwhelmed by some metaphor he couldn't quite alliterate. Time elapsed. Bob found himself in the back of a limousine. The titties were gone, but he still smelled the deodorant. Muddily, as though underwater, he heard the reverend's spirited cadence interspersed with the avian warblings of inebriated women. He couldn't make out what Rev was saying, but it didn't really matter what the words were. The waveforms wove like braided cables across the insides of his eyelids. There was a film in Bob's mouth he imagined were either barf or dip cheese. Or both. For all he knowed, he might have eaten an ancient jar of gefilte fish. Or even a Norwegian shark head. He didn't remember shit. A hand crept up his thigh and he cranked open an eyelid to see whose it was. A wild-haired harpy grinned back. The tip of a little pink tongue glistened through her missing bottom teeth. You got another one in your Bobby? Mr. Big Bad Destroyer? Bob didn't know what she were getting at initially, but as he swung a leg over him and he felt the warmth of her against his thigh, he had a pretty good idea she were hoping to become amorous with him. Funny thing were, he couldn't recall doing it the first time. Now, Bob were nothing if not accommodating. But the redistribution of bodily resources just then seemed to pull the shades back shut on his eyeballs. And the blood ran like an hourglass from his brains. I'll be dipped, Bob said. And the dipping commenced. Conscious or not. Time passed. What happened next were a kind of out-of-body experience, where from a bird's-eye view he observed the limousine they were in flying down the highway. He clutched the destroyer to his chest like the Iron Man's electromagnet. Brake dust, roadkill, and the cool autumn night air filled his corporeal nostrils. He was aware in some vague way that they were headed to the city, although he couldn't remember anyone telling him. More time passed. Cut to Bob being ushered into a smoky room, an arm over Randy and Rev's shoulders to hold him upright as they went. Bass-heavy music filled his ears, so loud it sent his brains a-wobble and left his scalp tingling. Where's Bob? Bob slurred. The men didn't appear to hear him. More titties than you can count, Bobby. Like a goddamn buffet of them. Good gravy almighty, Randy, get an eyeful of them titties. No, not those ones there. Well, well, I like those too, but... But... Oh, heavens to goddamn Betsy, you think she'll let me play with them? Whoo! Bob licked his desiccated lips, found his mustache was smeared with deodorant. A looming threat of projectile vomit was mounting forces in the pit of his stomach. A dull ache in his pecker spoke of unchronicled exploits he had no remembrance of whatsoever. Bob couldn't decide how he felt about that, whether he felt cheated, disenfranchised, or 
Whatever. Maybe that were just the way the ball rolled. Sometimes you hit the pins and sometimes your balls land in the gutter. Ooh, how about them britches? Look at Randy! Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Part 6 When Bob woke up, the clock said 7 p.m. Now, Bob were no stranger to hangovers, but this one was one for the books. No idea how he'd gotten home last night. No idea what he'd done last night. No recollection at all of having brought the destroyer home with him and merchandising it up on the wall shelf next to the front door. But there it was, mounted rather tastefully on an upside-down mayonnaise jar lid. Bob's pride and joy. The ball, not the mayonnaise jar lid. The unlidded mayonnaise jar he found on the kitchen table. No telling how long it had been left out there like that. Its contents, Bob reckoned, were forfeit. And himself, he further reckoned, were starving. Bob ordered a pizza and went into the bathroom to take a leak. His genitals looked to have had a party all their own. The pee didn't want to come out at first, then went off in all directions like a scattergun. Bob panicked, ultimately turned to the bathtub. Shit, he groaned. Bob ate a handful of Advils and undressed in front of the mirror. What stood before him seemed another man entirely. His pubic hair had been shaved. A strange effect, considering there were no clear indicator of Bob of where his hair stopped and that hair started. His backside had also been partially shaved, and there in the bare patch were a little gauze bandage with tape on it. After deliberating on it for a minute, Bob went ahead and pulled the bandage off. A little tattoo of a bowling ball. Bob looked at it for a minute, then checked to see if he'd gotten any other tattoos anywhere else. He had not. There was a knock at the door. Bob hurried to get back into his overalls and answered it. There stood the pizza guy, like some heavenly messenger of good news. From his quilted red bag, he produced what Bob had been dreaming about. A pepperoni pizza and the doorway filled with a yeasty, cheesy aroma. Well, goddamn, Bob said. That'll be 11.50, Mr. Mason. Bob went into his overalls and extracted the folded wad of money he had in there and began counting out the bills. He counted ten, and the last bill folded over. Ten dollars. Well, he knew he had more than that. Could he have spent it all last night? Well, shit he said. He glanced up at the delivery man. 
it were clear by his eyes that the prospect of a good tip were quickly dwindling. It were also clear by the look on his face that the man could smell something funny. Bob knew what that was. The destroyer was up on the shelf only a foot or so from the man's head. I won't be a minute, Bob said, handing over the ten singles. Just gotta go dig for it. Bob went back into the living room where he intended to look in between the couch cushions for the balance of the bill. But, by the time he were elbow deep in the cushions, a funny sound distracted him. A series of funny sounds, more like it. Three studs in succession. Now, Bob were no Foley artist, but the last he identified as that of a bowling ball landing on the floor from approximately the height of a shelf. He turned to look just as the man in the pizza hit the floor in unison. Bob's first thought was that the cheese might have been horribly jostled by the fall, but his second thought was that the man had been jostled pretty bad himself. His third was that the destroyer was no longer seated on the upside-down mayonnaise jar lid. The destroyer was slowly rolling down the floorboards, like a guilty puppy who'd just done something naughty. And when it stopped... Its three holes were facing Bob, like some funny little face with a pantygram for a nose, and those two vacuous eyeballs with that strange red glow coming from somewhere inside, somehow deeper than its circumference would appear to allow. I'll be dipped, Bob said. He realized he was nervously diddling his nipple just then. He retrieved the pizza and set it on the kitchen table. Returning to the man, he kneeled down next to him and took his pulse. He weren't sure where to put his fingers to take a man's pulse, so he put them in a whole bunch of different places he thought might work. He tried the man's forehead, his neck, his wrist, both kneecaps. Now, Bob were no ADT, but he didn't feel anything pulsating anywhere. He stood and nudged the man with his foot. You okay, mister? The man didn't say whether he was or wasn't. The man didn't say nothing at all. Bob just stood there a moment, contemplatively diddling his nipple. He looked back and forth from the man to the ball. Then, he looked at the pizza. Then, he looked back at the ball. Did you do that? The ball was no more talkative than the man... Bob figured that were on account of the ball not being able to talk, but balls were typically unable to move on their own as well. And unless there were some weird anomaly that caused it to do so, it almost seemed like the ball had done just that. Bob examined the mayonnaise jar lid for any imperfections, but it seemed perfectly fine. The ball looked up at him with its funny eye holes and O-shaped mouth. It seemed to be saying, No, sir, wasn't me. Bob's heart rate had increased substantially. Now what the hell am I going to do? An absurd question to ask Bob knew, particularly of a bowling ball. But, just as absurdly, the answer came to him. Bob wasn't sure where the answer came from, but it did come to him. Bob picked up the destroyer and set it back on the shelf. The weird smell seemed stronger somehow, and the holes where he'd stuck his fingers seemed a little warmer. You stay right there, he said. He looked down at the man. There were a little drip of blood coming out of the man's ear and down his earlobe. 
Bob grabbed a used tissue from his pocket and twisted it in there to plug it up. He looked out the window to check if there were anyone around. No one inside. My neighbor downstairs was doing the night shift and there were no cars out there besides his and the man's. Bob grabbed the pizza man under the armpits and dragged him out into the hall. He went backwards down the stairs, the man's shoes clunking down every step. Down by the front door, Bob checked around to make sure he was still alone. Outside was dark and quiet. He dragged the pizza guy across the gravel to his still-running car. He opened the door and propped the man's ass on the driver's seat and stuffed his legs back inside. Then he straightened the man up in his seat and put his head so it were relatively up and down. It kept leaning this way and that, and it took a couple of tries to get him looking right. That done, he saw there were a dent in the man's head, kind of like a big, giant thumbprint. Bob tousled the man's hair in such a way that the dent were relatively obscured. Then he stood back and examined the man in the dome light of the car. Bob noted with a twinge of dissatisfaction that the man appeared to achieve a kind of post-mortem erection. I will be dipped, Bob said. Bob shut the door and the dome light went off. Then he went around back of the car and scooped up a clod of dirt and stuffed it in the tailpipe. He looked around. He were still all alone. Bob went back upstairs and noticed several things. First, the man had dropped the ten one-dollar bills. These Bob picked up and put back in his pocket. Then it occurred to him that he had forgotten about the red quilted pizza bag. Lastly, he realized the pizza that had arrived in it were the proverbial linchpin connecting Bob to this unfortunate situation. As previous, this brilliant insight were unclear to have come from Bob himself or the ball. Still, Bob knew what he had to do. A rumble came from deep within Bob's overalls as he went to the table to retrieve the pizza. He opened the lid and looked at it. The cheese were somewhat rearranged in the aforementioned melee, but the pepperoni were plenty, and they looked delicious. These Bob peeled off one by one and popped them into his mouth. He stood chewing with his eyes shut. That were all of the pizza Bob could afford to have. He closed the box and put it back in the quilted red bag and brought it downstairs and put it on the man's passenger seat. He closed the door. All the while, with this pesky feeling that he were doing something unethical, not in his own accord, but on someone else's entirely. It occurred to Bob just then how often one is led to believe he's in control of a given situation. But then sometimes one realizes he was never really in control in the first place. Part 7 The coroner declared the delivery boy's death asphyxiation from carbon monoxide poisoning. No one had noticed the bowling ball-sized dent in the man's head. Maybe Bob's sense of aestheticism and hairstyling skills were more advanced than he had previously thought. Still, he felt downright rotten about the whole thing and had even abstained from ordering pizza since the day this happened. He'd even considered getting rid of the ball, which, by now, he was fairly certain was touched in some way. But then he considered the titties. Not the normal, everyday way he considered titties, but the prospect of titties in general. The facts were, in the area of titties specifically, he hadn't gone for want in that department since getting his hands on the ball. With it in his possession, he couldn't lose. Not the game of bowling, 
not in the game of titties. The destroyer brought titties, and although Bob were pretty sure it had killed a few people, it were plain irrefutable that every titty was a net positive. And being a marginal man as he were, the unfortunate circumstances had only served to correct his societal disenfranchisement. I'll be dipped, Bob said. I've been justified. And justly, the destroyers went on destroying, annihilating the competition. From all over, visiting teams came to challenge Cooter County's destroyers and were summarily destroyed themselves. Not to say Rev and Randy had much to do with that, but Bob's perfect scores kept them invariably in the lead. And when the games were over, there were invariably girls. Some treated Bob with great reverence. Others talked to him as if he thought to remember them, as if they'd shared some kind of carnal bond that ought to be impossible to forget. But Bob had done a fair bit of drinking since finding the destroyer, he realized, and thinking on it a while, he further realized he didn't remember all that much at all since becoming a big celebrity. Besides being blackout drunk half the time, the girls were easy come, easy go, and when it came right down to it, it were hardly worth the effort to commit any of them to memory. Only vaguely, over the past couple of weeks, he remembered receiving phone calls from fancy, professional-sounding men. They presented him with elaborate, complicated-sounding scenarios. Sponsorships. Endorsements. Even the prospect of an instructional bowling video. Most of these involved, though, using a different bowling ball altogether. By now, there was no denying the fact that the ball had everything to do with Bob's success and not Bob himself. About all Bob had a knack for was coming across enchanted objects from time to time. Without the Destroyer, Bob would no longer be the Destroyer. Bob would be Bob. And that were significantly less notable. Easy come, easy go were blaring on the jukebox the night of the Cooter County Ten Pins Finals, and they'd save the best for last. The Cooter County Destroyers versus the similarly formidable Phallic Warriors, visiting from nearby Split Tail. By now, Bob had realized something interesting about where he stood as a magically enchanted bowler. He couldn't lose. No matter how drunk he got, he couldn't lose. He could bowl backwards if he wanted to. Strikes every time. Only for the sake of believability did he bowl somewhat realistically. Rev and Randy didn't bowl realistically to begin with, but alongside Bob, they couldn't lose either. So, well before their scheduled match, they were already drunker than shit. The Destroyers were in the arcade, surrounded by fans. Bob playing Double Dragon with a familiar feel of titties pressed into his back. To whom they belonged, he did not know. Randy, adjusting the stainless steel hose clamps on his once again upgraded bowling glove. This one he'd had custom made by a local welder. A kind of robotic scaffolding so robust his arm had noticeably atrophied since using it. Bob doubted he had the strength in his right arm to pick his nose at this point. But he didn't come here to pick his nose. None of them had. And after tonight, they'd be able to pick it with their brand new bowling trophies. Rev's drinking problem had seemed to intensify the most out of all of them since becoming the Destroyers. 
Where he'd once become jovial and talkative, he now became quiet and sullen. While Bob played arcade games and Randy tightened his hose clamps, Rev stared contemplatively into the bottom of his red Solo cup, the little wrinkles in his forehead occasionally wobbling, a wavelength of secret weirdness Bob figured weren't really worth looking into. The feature match of the night was about halfway through, the highly decorated Garbanzo Bandits versus the Creedence Skinners, when Bob noticed Rev had disappeared. He excused himself from the ladies and peeked out into the alley to see if he could spot him. Not in sight. Where'd Rev go? He asked Randy. Dunno. Get ready, I suppose. One moment he just picked up your bag there and left. My bag? With my ball in it? Well, yeah. That's the only bag you got, ain't it? But why do you want to take my ball? Figured he'd meant to bring it to the lane and help get ready for the match. Bob looked at the stool Rev had been sitting on. Then, uh, why'd he leave his bag there? The two of them looked at Rev's bag and then at each other. Um, well, maybe we better do have a look, Randy said. The two finished their drinks and went into the alley. The seats by the lane they were scheduled to bowl in were empty. A meager crowd around the lane hosting the current match, Rev not in it. Not at the snack bar. Not in the bathroom. Not flirting with Amanda at the rental shoe counter. Not in the hall by Two Shoes' office. They finally found Rev in a small nook in the rear of the alley reserved for the ball polishing machines. But they didn't find him the way they'd expected to. They didn't find him the way you'd expect to find almost anybody. Bob had seen some unusual things in recent weeks. Unusual indeed. But, even in the context of those, Bob thought, this one were pretty goddamn unusual. The scene before Bob and Randy might have made an excellent Salvador Dali painting, with the Reverend's twig-like bowed bare legs and sorry buttocks, all flexed and dimpled like the face of an old man in agony. On the polar opposite end of Rev was an actual old man's face, in agony. The destroyer's bag lay empty on the floor. Rev, what are you doing? The way things appeared, it weren't too lofty an inference that Bob's ball was on the ball washer in front of him. This was not only apparent to Bob, but Randy as well. I don't think he's polishing it, Randy said. At least not in the conventional sense. Help me, Bobby. You gotta help me! Rev, are you... Are you fucking my bowling ball? It's got my pecker, Bobby! You gotta get it off me! Bob's first inclination was to help, being such a helpful person by nature, but he was suddenly filled with righteous rage. Was the Destroyer anything less than a metaphor for Bob himself? In this act, not a metaphor for Bob's disenfranchisement itself. He stood with his hands on his hips and said thusly, Well, goddamn, Rev. It's guys like you who take advantage of whoever or whatever you get the chance to. Norwegian shoppers, bowling balls. You're my goddamn bowling partner. I will tell you what, Rev, Mr. Righteous man of the cloth, you get your own goddamn pecker out of my ball, and then I'll deal with you 
myself. And the way Rev was squealing and shaking just then, Bond weren't even sure if the man had heard him. And, with a shriek unbefitting of a pastor, or anyone else for that matter, Rev was suddenly shed of the ball. He turned, revealing not his previously captive member, but the distinct lack thereof. It appeared to have been flush-cut. A patch of grey wool and a red gaping eye, and in the space of a heartbeat, the eye spewed forth with arterial ferocity. A squirt hit Randy in the eye and drizzled on Bob's bowling shoes like an infernal lawn sprinkler. Behind him, perched on the ball washer, the meaty morsel sunk down the destroyer's maw, and Bob would be dipped in shit if it didn't look vindicated. Well, goddamn, Bob said. Rev himself was caught up in some confounded fervor, spinning in place, spraying blood like a modern artist in inspirational frenzy, the dwindling rotations resultant in a barber pole swirl of gore, striping the walls and culminating in the same puddle he waddled in. And with his face a shade of white betraying his state of drunkenness, the two met eyes. Rev fell to his knees. You... You knowed it, Bobby. Didn't ya? Amanda turned the corner just then, just in time to see Rev's face fall flat on the floor. Her eyes met Bob's, then panned the gruesome art deco experiment on the walls. Then, her face went white too, and her knees started to wobble. Valiant as Bob was, he hurried over and steadied the gown before she could faint and topple over. She didn't protest, so he patted her on the head a little. Now, now, darling. Now, now, there. Amanda snapped out of it all at once. She pulled away from Bob and fixed him with a stone-cold glare, an accusing finger leveled at the ball. It's that ball that did this, she said. I told you, didn't I? The damned evil ball. No, darling, said Bob. Now, now, there. Why don't we just sit you down here before you go it? But before Bob could settle her down, something smacked her in the face so hard it knocked the scrunchies out of her hair. Noting the trajectory, it wasn't hard to put the pieces together. The destroyer had fired Rev's prick at her, and when he looked back to check on her, he saw it hanging out of her eye socket, and her other eye rolled back. White. Bob went to grab her, but she slid out of his arms like a water weenie. Well, goddamn. He turned to see Randy still staring at Rev with his metallic arm covering his genitals. He looked like a department store mannequin. He'd been scared stiff. No more life in him than in Rev himself. The absurdity of it all just washed through Bob's guts like a high-pressure undercarriage cleaning. It occurred to Bob very strongly all of a sudden that fame and fortune were just plumb unnatural, and it was inevitable the natural state of things would come to warp in their presence. It was all as delicate as the axes of a spinning bowling ball. And if Bob had ever doubted it before, he was now fairly certain that the destroyer did not conform to USBC regulations. These and other sentiments flooded Bob's mind. Vapid and impertinent morals to a story Bob couldn't see a happy ending to. And by the time he looked back at the ball washer, he saw the destroyer was gone. And on the heels of that, all hell broke loose.
in the Cooter County Tin Pen. Part 8 It started with a scream. Bob ran into the alley just in time to see the destroyer spin into a group of girls at the snack bar. They scattered like pins, all but a few who fell unnaturally, like the gravity underneath them had suddenly doubled. One whose leg bone was left poking through the skin, another whose hot dog had been debunned and sent sprawling. Others who stood with a look of confoundment as the destroyer hooked around the cotton candy machine and sought to pick up the spare. More screams. The ball leapt into one woman's face, lifted her a good foot off the ground before they both came back down. The ball spun in her cratered head a second, then up and out, leaving a trail of morbid condiments around the corner. Bob took off after the ball, jumped the injured and dead at the snack bar and followed the gory smear around the corner. More screams. Men at the lanes going down like dominoes lane by lane, like a high-speed rattlesnake, fanging everyone in its path. When all twelve teams were down, the ball rolled up the wall and back down onto the wood, spun across the lanes, over bumpers and gutters alike. Bob slid to a stop at the threshold and commanded, Now you stop that! Stop it right now! And it did. Stopped on a dime, right in the middle of lane seven. It appeared to look at him a second. Then, dejected, it turned toward the pins and took off into them. And if there were ever any doubt about who'd been doing the destroying since Bob became the so-called destroyer of Cooter County, it was crossed out with the new X on the lane's corresponding monitor. Only then did Bob have a moment to soak in the devastation. The wailing waste of bowlers, their split and splintering shin bones, bowling shoes everywhere, blood on the floor. Bob in a state of flux between iterations of himself. Was any of this salvageable? Could the ball be trained to behave? Bob whistled like he was calling a little dog. Stryer, come on out now. Now you be a good little ball and come on out now. No dice. God damn it, Bob said. A man Bob didn't recognize had pulled himself off the floor and sat straddling the ball return, a rictus of agony on his face. He leaned forward on an elbow and dug into his pocket and pulled out a cell phone and dialed and held it to his ear. Bob knew who he meant to call. Soon the alley would be awash with police lights. They'd stick Bob in the cell and the ball in the evidence locker. They couldn't pin this whole mess on Bob directly, but they could sure as hell take his ball away. They could sure as hell transform him back from Bob the championship bowler to Bob the disenfranchised, marginalized, fat-fingered, big-footed nothing. But the destroyer came blasting out of the ball return and directly up the poor fella's ass. A great bulge, the digestive bolus of a python's perennial meal, worked its way through the man's midsection and up into his chest, ribcage cracking, shirt buttons popping, goitering into the man's neck, his face swelling, his eyeballs filling with blood, the hinges of his jaw dislocating, his cheeks bulging, and, with a shotgun blast of teeth, the destroyer fell out onto the floor. It rolled over the threshold, painting the hickory and then the carpet with its gory leavings. It stopped in between Bob's feet. 
The hollowed-out bowler lay stretched like a sausage tubing across the ball return. Maimed and unconscious bowlers littered the alley like the aftermath of a battle. Randy stood frozen in the nook by the ball polisher. The ball looked up at him like a penitent little dog. The kind of dog that knew he'd just bought himself a one-way ticket to the farm. And it had, Bob knew. Regrettably, there was just no way around it. The only time the ball seemed reliably well-behaved was when Bob was holding it. So he bent down and sunk his fingers into it. He retrieved his sneakers and the bowling bag and dropped the shoes into the bag for safekeeping. And, holding the ball securely in the crook of his arm, went out to his truck and started it up. He bowled his final frame at the Cooter County Ten Pen. And so had the Destroyer. Part 9 It hurt Bob's heart to see the Destroyer under the pneumatic press at Cooter County Foundry, an alloy of righteousness and self-pity. The ball had made a champion of him, made Bob a bowler of lore, and God help him if the titties didn't sprout up like oyster mushrooms on a sack of shit. It was a damn shame what needed to be done, but there was just no way around it. It was only a matter of time until the Destroyer lived up to its name and destroyed everything, even Bob himself. Somberly, he hit the switch. The hammer bore down with celestial insistence, groaning as it embraced the ball between platform and hammer. For a moment, it seemed the Destroyer was stronger than the machine, but then the cover warped and ultimately split along the engraved name the insides cracked and powdered like a malted milk ball, and with a crash, a million pieces of what seemed like a regular old bowling ball shot out like so much shrapnel. A faint red glow in its wake, giving color to the potent stink its destruction seemed to have uncorked. A stench of sulfur and shark's heads and century-old gefilte fish in a jar of brimstone. And then, it was gone the spirit of destruction back into the ether from whence it came. The ether, or wherever the hell it come from, as far as Bob knew, it could have been Schenectady. Bob just stood there a moment, his heart sunk from its exalted perch of stardom, but where it sunk to weren't particularly lower than where it had been to begin with. The baseline heart of regular old marginalized, disenfranchised Bob Mason... A heart made out of ham and eggs. A heart allowed its briefest moment of triumph and promptly cut down in the same beat. Nothing unnatural lasts for long, Bob knew. Nothing unnaturally good or bad. So there's no sense imagining you're disadvantaged, Bob realized because even the least among us will get our hands on a pair of titties from time to time. And the next time he did, he resolved, he was going to squeeze them like a pneumatic press. Better still, he was going to seize life by the titties. He was going to seize it and wring it out for everything it's worth. And how could he do that if he meant to feel sorry for himself? He couldn't. No one could. Bob opened the door to his apartment, turned the TV on and sat on the couch. 
He heard the change rolling out of his pockets and in between the couch cushions. He gazed at his recent bowling trophies on the shelf by the door. It occurred to him that their eminent golden figures were no more than polished plastics, no more substantial than the inferior alloy of the change under his ass, that the universe itself were mostly comprised of dark matter, that titties were mostly comprised of adipose tissue. On the heels of this realization, Bob felt suddenly very much at one with all creation. Contentedly, he diddled his nipple. Two episodes of Barnaby Jones later, Bob decided to go to bed. Tomorrow morning would be a new day. Nothing in this world was certain, but each new sun brought possibilities to light. New prospects. And as assuredly as the Earth's rotation, titties multitudinous. You could bet your boots on it. Speaking of boots, Bob went ahead and fetched the former destroyer's bag to take out his sneakers. When he opened the bag, though, he was greeted with a waft of stink he weren't exactly expecting. A stink weren't altogether unusual when dealing with Bob's footwear, but this one was distinctly different. Not the ordinary aroma of his sneakers, but the dark and infernal air of the bag's prior occupant. And when he gazed into its depths and saw the faint red glow coming from the mouths of both shoes, it occurred to Bob that the collective balls of the earth might as well be in a pneumatic press. Every goddamn day the sun shone on it. And so be it. Because it looked like Bob were the one running the power hammer. I'll be dipped. Bob said. You've been listening to The Destroyer by Jeff Sturdevant. For part one of this story, go to last week's episode to get yourself good and caught up, and, of course, season two, episode three, When You Wish Upon a Jar, to see how it all began. I'd like to personally thank you for joining me for this episode of Horror Hill. Don't forget to tune in again next week, when I yet again regale you with a handful of tales to terrify, plumbed from the most depraved depths of the human imagination. The Destroyer was written by and brought to you courtesy of Jeff Sturdevant. Jeff is a winner of the 2018 ABR Listener's Choice Award for Best Humor Entry for his audiobook production of Occupational Hazards, The Blue Collar Omnibus. He writes about the absurd, the macabre, and the general strangeness of the human experience. When he isn't writing, he drives a brown truck and delivers packages. When he isn't doing that, he's usually getting into trouble. If you see him, avoid him but buy his books, because they are really, really good. If you enjoyed what you've heard on tonight's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference. And I mean that. And it would also mean a lot to me personally. If you'd like to hear more lengthy tales, be sure to take a look at my audiobooks, available now on audible.com. 
Check out the link in the show notes for my ever-growing library of mostly horror audiobooks. If you'd like to hear a premium, ad-free edition of tonight's and all our other episodes, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com, where you can become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive, dating back to 2012, including past episodes of this program and all our other shows and hundreds of standalone releases, all of them ad-free and available to download or stream. Thanks so much for your time. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have a chance to interact with us each and every week. You'll find me personally on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Until next week, listener, when we meet up once again atop the Horror Hill for yet another Dance with Darkness. I bid you good night, sleep tight, listener, and whatever you do, if you hear scratching at your door, don't open it. The darkness may have found you, but it's up to you to let it in. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Horror Hill Podcast, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Jason Hill. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Felipe Ojeda, Luke Hodgkinson, and Jesse Cornett. Final mixing and mastering by executive producer and director Craig Groshak. The program's artwork by yours truly, Jason Hill. Logo by Craig Groshak. Got a terrifying tale of your own that you like performed? I take submissions. Email it to us today at submissions at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your work considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's submissions at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on social media to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and our other programs. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for Chilling Tales for Dark Nights as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every week. And don't forget to hit the thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. 
As for me, I'll be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. If darkness is what you're after, listener, your search is over. Yet, let it be known, you haven't found the darkness. The darkness has found you. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.